This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, the GOP-led House weighed in on abortion yesterday. They voted on a bill requiring proper medical care for babies who survive attempted abortions. President Biden under more scrutiny. Allegedly, his legal team found more classified documents at a second location. It's the first time the FAA has grounded all domestic flights since 9-11. With air travel now back to normal, it begs the question, what caused the nationwide problem? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wants to keep the Chinese Communist Party from buying property in the Sunshine State. He says Florida doesn't need any CCP influence over its economy. And a stay-at-home mom picks up a new hobby, and in no time, she's hitting bullseyes and breaking world records. Find out more about an archer from Illinois. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Thursday, January the 12th. And flights are back to normal after an FAA system failure yesterday. The system that offers safety information to pilots went out. Domestic flights were grounded across the U.S. for about an hour and a half. Over 11,000 flights were disrupted. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what's known about the first nationwide ground stop since 9-11. According to Flight Tracking Service FlightAware, more than 10,000 flights were delayed and over 1,300 canceled on Wednesday. The cause was a problem with the FAA's Notice to Air Missions, or NOTAM, system. It provides safety notices to pilots to warn of potential hazards like runway closures, poor weather, and construction. The issue prevented airports from filing updates. FAA officials say a preliminary review traced the problem to a corrupted database file and that they are working to further pinpoint the causes so the problem can be avoided in the future. They say there was no evidence of a cyber attack, but that the investigation is ongoing. The White House echoed those remarks. We do not have evidence that this outage was caused by a cyber attack. The FAA is working aggressively to get to the bottom of the root causes for the system outage so that it does not happen again. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says while there is no evidence of cyber attack, it hasn't been ruled out either until there is a clearer and better understanding of what took place. He says although the FAA made the right call, the next step is accountability exactly how this was possible and exactly what steps are needed to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Buttigieg was critical of Southwest Airlines for their recent meltdown due to outdated technology. He was adamant the airline follow federal aviation laws to make things right with customers by providing adequate compensation. One travel agent and blogger of the Cranky Flyer questioned why the government has no legal obligation to reimburse travelers. He says Buttigieg should set an example and reimburse customers directly from the government coffers. Others say affected passengers shouldn't hold their breath. An FAA action, a ground stop, you know, my gut tells me there's going to be very little compensation. This type of system outage is very rare. It lasted about 90 minutes before flights were allowed to resume. You know, I've covered this sector for over 10 years, and this is the first time that I'm familiar with uh, this system being unavailable. The FAA resorted to a telephone hotline to keep departures going overnight, but as air traffic picked up in the morning, the phone system was overwhelmed. Questions are being raised if the FAA's systems are outdated. 
Representative Nancy Mace says she expects there to be a lot of hearings on technology this legislative session. Is this because we're dealing with legacy and outdated technology and systems? It's 2022 and we want to make sure if we're going to hold Southwest's feet to the fire on that issue that we hold ourselves to the same standard. The Senate Transportation Committee says NOTAM and its backup systems will be added to an inquiry into aviation technology. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Abortion, an issue among the top priorities for the Republican-led House. A bill was voted on yesterday that aims to protect babies who survive an attempted abortion. NTD's Melina Wisecup was on Capitol Hill. On a vote of 220 to 210, the House passed a bill meant to require proper medical care for a baby who survives an attempted abortion. An NBC report in 2006, they told the story of a 23-week-old baby boy that was born alive at an abortion clinic in Hialeah, Florida. When he began breathing and moving, the abortion clinic owner, Belkis Gonzalez, reportedly cut the umbilical cord and zipped him into a biohazard bag. One Democrat, Henry Cuellar, joined Republicans to pass it. The seven-page bill would impose consequences if one does not give proper care to a living baby, including prison time of up to five years. It specifies that mothers would not be prosecuted. Instead, mothers could obtain relief, money damage for all injuries, psychological and physical. The facts that we're talking about here, a child has been born alive, its heart is beating, its eyes are blinking. Taking care of that baby is not extreme, it is basic human dignity. On the other side of the aisle, Democrats dismiss the bill as a political stunt, arguing there are already laws in place to protect babies born alive. It is a crime now to kill a child born alive. In fact, in May of 2013, a Philadelphia man was convicted of first-degree murder in the killing of three infants. He's now serving life without parole. The Democrat House leader says he believes this bill is just the first step. A march toward criminalizing abortion care. A nationwide ban, government-mandated pregnancies. Part of an extreme MAGA Republican agenda. What would your response be to that? I'd say that the last Congress we saw the most extreme nature of Democrats. When you agree to the, the abortion of a baby up until the moment of birth, that's extreme. This bill for, from House Republicans is mainly a messaging opportunity. That's because it does stand up against a Biden-controlled White House and a Democrat-controlled Senate. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Wisecup, NTD News. President Biden's legal team has reportedly found more documents with classified markings in a second location. That's according to an unnamed source who spoke to the Associated Press. The person told AP they're not authorized to publicly discuss the details. The source did not say when or where the material was found. They also didn't say what level of classification the documents had. The revelation came just hours after White, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre dodged questions about Biden's handling of classified information and the White House's management of the discovery. Biden's attorneys say the documents were found on November 2nd last year. When asked why it took over two months to reveal the discovery, she had this to say. This is under review by the Department of Justice. I'm not going to go beyond what the president shared yesterday. I'm not going to go beyond uh, what the, my colleagues at the White House Council shared with all of you as well. Uh, look, 
what you, you received from the White House Counsel on Monday was uh, had uh, complete details, a lot of details to all of you uh, on what occurred, and just not going to get beyond that. The White House and Justice Department declined to comment yesterday on reports of the second set of classified records. Former President Trump is suggesting that the matter was kept silent so it didn't influence the midterms. He asked on Truth Social why the Justice Department didn't announce the findings before the election. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is considering banning Chinese entities from purchasing property in the state. The reason is the economic and security risks posed by China's communist regime. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. We do not need to have CCP influence um, in Florida's economy. The remarks follow warnings from security experts and lawmakers that the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is seeking to purchase strategic parcels of land throughout the United States. Security experts believe the CCP intends to conduct espionage or otherwise sabotage U.S. national security interests from them. We don't want to have holdings uh, by hostile nations. And so if you look at the Chinese Communist Party, they've been very active throughout the Western Hemisphere in gobbling up land. Chinese investors purchased more than $6 billion in U.S. real estate between March 2021 and March 2022. DeSantis says keeping the CCP from buying farmland is a positive step for which he has proposed legislation, but believes more can be done. Yeah, no farmland, but why would you want them buying residential developments or things like that? But he says it won't be the CCP directly signing contracts. So legislation has to be structured to effectively police it and prevent the use of holding companies and other devices. DeSantis expressed that Florida has already been active in keeping out the influence of the CCP, mentioning how the Sunshine State banned Confucius Institutes. They have used those Confucius Institutes across the country uh, to basically bring propaganda into our universities, as if our universities don't have enough problems already. He says Florida has also taken steps to limit the CCP's ability to fund research in Florida universities. Though outrage over the issue has been widespread in recent months, there have been relatively few concrete actions taken to curb the flow of U.S. land to CCP-aligned organizations. Representative Elise Stefanik of New York and Rick Crawford of Arkansas introduced legislation to improve national security by preventing foreign adversaries from taking any ownership or control of the United States agricultural industry. While Washington Congressman Dan Newhouse introduced legislation in November that would prohibit foreign nationals associated with the CCP from buying any farmland, DeSantis concluded his remarks emphasizing the necessity of disentangling the U.S. economy from China going forward. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Tesla plans to spend over $770 million to expand its immense Austin-based factory. They want to construct additional facilities. These will include a battery cell testing lab, a drive unit site, and a dye shop. Some of these projects should start construction within weeks. The Gigafactory Texas facility opened in April 2022. It's the second largest building by volume in the world with over 10 million square feet of floor space. It is currently used to make Tesla Model Y vehicles. The company has plans to produce its Cybertruck there sometime in 2023. And meanwhile, Tesla is also nearing a preliminary deal to build production facilities in Indonesia with the capacity to produce 1 million cars per year. 
And now let's pause for a moment because we have another message from our sponsor, Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold asks, are you tired of your money being impacted by awful decisions of incredible tax spending by the government? How will you secure your savings? For over 5,000 years, gold has withstood inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. Bridge Gold makes it easy to convert your IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Just text the word NTD to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold. There's no obligation to make this request. That's right, and Birch Gold Group has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and countless five-star reviews. And coming up, Japan's prime minister is touring G7 countries, and U.S. officials held talks with their Japanese counterparts, discussions focused on tensions with China and North Korea. And in China, a car drove through multiple crosswalks, killing five people. The driver then threw money into the air following the hit and run. That story and more after the break. Good to have you back with us. The U.S. and Japan are strengthening their alliance. Talks yesterday centered on countering threats from North Korea and China. In light of the recent events, the U.S. and Japan condemned North Korea and China's actions, which they referred to as the greatest security challenge in the region. Entity's Kost Temenes has the details. In a joint press conference, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and their Japanese counterparts called China an unprecedented threat to the international order. Both countries expressed their commitment for a strengthened alliance in the Indo-Pacific. I think what you're seeing in real time is an alliance that is modernizing, and the United States and Japan are working in lockstep to be prepared for the emerging challenges in the Indo-Pacific and beyond. Japan and the United States remain united in our concern over China's destabilizing actions. And I want to reaffirm the United States' ironclad commitment to defend Japan with the full range of capabilities, including nuclear. Both countries signed an agreement reflecting efforts to deepen cooperation across a wider scope, including space, cybersecurity, and emerging technologies. The four of us agreed to promote initiatives in extensive areas, including the effective operation of counter-strike capability based on bilateral cooperation. Meanwhile, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak met with his Japanese counterpart Fumio Kishida in London on Wednesday. Kishida's visit is part of a tour of group of seven countries. At the core of their talks, was also the challenge that China presents in the Indo-Pacific region. Both countries signed an agreement that will allow them to deploy forces on each other's soil as part of a strategy to build security and trade ties. Cost MNS, NTD News. Japan's Prime Minister will visit the White House tomorrow. It's part of his Group of Seven tour, which includes the U.S. U.S. officials say talks will likely center around security issues, the global economy, and control of semiconductor exports to China. And in China, a car repeatedly rammed and crushed pedestrians yesterday, causing at least five deaths and 13 injuries. A quick warning at this point, some might find the footage we're about to show disturbing. The hit-and-run happened in Guangzhou City during pedestrian rush hour. A black BMW drove at high speed through multiple crosswalks, 
plowing through crowds of pedestrians. It knocked down some motorcycles, including one from the police who arrived on the scene. You can see here that the car later stopped on a sidewalk. The driver got out of the car and threw a money into the air. And he was later arrested, as you can just he could just hear. During his arrest, he shouted something and that he was the nephew of the party secretary of Guangdong province. Some witnesses at the scene shouted that he killed people on purpose, but the motive is unknown. The videos disappeared quickly in China after going viral. The party secretary has more power than the provincial governor in China. That's because the Communist Party is in control of the government. And another similar incident happened in Shanghai, where a car smashed into a hotel on Tuesday. A white sports car was seen smashing into an upscale hotel in Shanghai. It drove through the lobby and knocked things over. The incident happened after a guest got into a dispute with the management of the luxury accommodation. No one was injured, luckily. A 28-year-old man was arrested. Local media reported he was upset because of the loss of a laptop during his stay at the hotel. Up next, a top-ranked Virginia high school made headlines for withholding National Merit Awards. Parents are outraged. We speak to one of those affected parents. And a 44-year-old mom in Illinois found out she has a remarkable talent. And after some hard work, she's now breaking world records. Find out more when we come back. Welcome back. A top-ranked Virginia high school made headlines about withholding National Merit Awards. They only handed them out after early college application deadlines had passed. The school district says they found two other schools where students didn't receive their awards in time. I spoke to the mom of one of those students. Joining me now is Shauna Yashar. Her son is one of the kids that were awarded the National Merit Recognition. Good morning, Shauna. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, it's such a crazy story By the because I want to know more about this. By the time the school had handed out those awards, the deadline had already passed, right? So did you talk to the school? What did the school say? Did they explain to you? Yeah, so yeah, so um, my son received his National Merit Commendation uh, Award on November 14th, and the early application deadline for most universities is actually November 1st. So he did miss the opportunity to put that on a number of his applications. So I went to the school, I went to the principal and asked, you know, what had happened, and she directed me to the Director of Student Services, and I had a call with him, and he explained that yes, they had the certificates, but they were holding on to them because they wanted to find a time in which to hand them out discreetly to the students so that the students that didn't receive the awards wouldn't feel so bad. Wow, okay, I wanna unpack a little bit there later, but first I wanna know how it affected your son. Is he okay and how did you feel you know, about it as his mom or as a family? Right, so he's doing well. I mean, he's still applying for his colleges. We're still waiting to hear back from universities like many anxious you know, students and families are this time of the year. But, you know, what was upsetting to me as a parent mostly was not having the ability to really celebrate that with my son when he achieved that award. This is a really big honor. 
finishing top 3% of anything is an amazing accomplishment. And we wanted to be able to celebrate that with him and then also help him use that award and that recognition to not only apply for you know, universities, but also to apply for potential scholarships. It opens up a lot of doors for students when they receive merit-based acclamations like this. And we wanted to you know, help our son with that process so that he would understand what it meant and how to potentially use it to help him in his future career aspirations. Right, of course. And now uh, to what you said, the school had explained that they wanted also to protect, protect the students um, that didn't get the award. And I want to know, as a parent, you know, how do you feel about that explanation, about the effort, basically, of trying not to hurt the other students' feelings? Right. I mean, I, you know, as I told the director of student services at Thomas Jefferson High School, where my son attends, that type of excuse doesn't really hold a lot of water to me. We can both celebrate the students for who they are as individuals, but also celebrate them for their achievements and their accomplishments. Downplaying these students' accomplishments and these merit-based awards is not helping the other students that did not achieve that award. And it's certainly hindering the students that did receive it. So the school needs to really get back to focusing on celebrating academic excellence and not focusing so much on the feelings of those students who don't achieve that award. Those can be addressed in other ways throughout the school and through counseling, through other services, through just being a nice person to everybody as you walk through the school. You don't have to withhold awards from students in order to protect the feelings of others. Mm, that sounds like a good um, good point. And I know the Fairfax County actually says that they are aware of it and that they will contact the colleges that the students apply to and to inform those colleges of the commendation. So I hope this somehow makes it better a little bit for your son as well. In any case, good luck. Um, so uh, Thank you so much for sharing the story, Shauna. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate the interest. Got to have recognition for the hard work you put in. Now, most athletes train for years to become good at a sport, but few become world-class athletes, and even fewer break world records. One woman in Illinois did just that, and in a record amount of time. Let's find out how she did it. Christina Lyons is living the dream. She has broken three world records in archery in the past three years, with one of them achieved after only a year of training. Jeff Sanchez, Lions archery coach, says her accomplishments are rare, but her dedication made it possible. Chrissy pretty much came every day from the time she started to actually work on her shooting, work on her form and technique, and really put a lot of time into it. A lot more time than most people uh, dedicate to, to an activity. Before Lyons started archery in April 2019, she was a 44-year-old stay-at-home mom without any experience, but her mindset helped her excel in the sport. I started training like I was going to be an athlete competing in a sport and putting that time in and, and motivating myself even on the days that I might have been tired or not wanting to practice. I needed to go practice if I wanted to be successful at archery. While Lyons was excelling, she hit a speed bump. Eight months into training, she fell and broke her leg. She couldn't walk for six months, but it was a blessing in disguise. It, it made me realize that I was very, very determined to do archery because even right after I broke my leg and had surgery, I was in a tremendous amount of pain, but I, I still wanted to shoot my bow, so it kind of kept my mind off of that as well. Another struggle she had to overcome was her self-doubt. Lyons came from a broken family and grew up in foster homes. Growing up in the foster care system, I was very, very alone, and a lot of people told me that 
um, I wasn't going to amount to anything. But Sanchez saw a diamond in the rough. For many years, I can see the level of competition and see just how good she was doing and what she could eventually achieve. Um, so I think once the belief started to catch up a little bit, then the sky was the limit at that point. Lyons went on to win many national and international competitions. In August 2020, after one year of training, Lyons smashed a world record in the U.S. Target Nationals competition. In 2022, she broke two more world records in the Pan American Championships and won three gold medals. I wanted to prove that I could do something with my life um, and be a successful person and, and be a good person. So um, I think I've done that with my life. Lyons appreciates the unexpected success in archery and a loving family with her husband and daughters. She is now training for Olympic-style archery and has become an archery coach. She hopes to inspire people with her passion for archery. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. Wow, that's impressive. Okay, so based on that story, Evelyn, what do you get when you mix a lot of time and hard work? I know what you're doing. It's bullseye. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nailed it. I spent too much time with you. I don't know how I got to that. <laughs> anyway, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. You can share your thoughts and your story if you have any at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.